Hood by J.M. Bullpit. Read by Jack Collard. Chapter 6. Night Amongst Monsters Two weeks into his stay in Chuffing Sodmore, Robbie seized the opportunity to uncover the mystery Gabriel Sage wished to kept hidden in the old vestry of the church. It was the first night that Robbie had downed a whole pint of hearty badger ale in the bog diggers. The locals always left an offering of a pint and were quite blasé about his ghostly presence now, although the jury was still out over whose spirit he was supposed to represent. As soon as he had finished the drink, though, and left the pub that particular evening, Robbie began to feel that gravity had shifted and now seemed to be tugging at different parts of his body with varying force. Finding he needed a little support, Robbie hauled himself up onto the plinth and leant on the torso of the soldier, wondering how the stone statue could be swaying slightly. It was only then that he spotted headlights heading in the direction of the square. Robbie had no need to hide, as he always kept on the invisibility function of his coat at night now, except when it became too cold. He watched with a frown as the black van scythed its way through the darkness, drawing as little attention to itself as possible, and then its engine eased into silence as it pulled up outside the museum. A chinless man with permanently flared nostrils and a smug expression slipped out of the driver's seat. His bulbous eyes swept across the square with a languid disdain before he headed towards Gabriel Sage who had just swung open the door to the museum. There was contact between the two men's hands for a second but they remained on the threshold of the building for a few moments talking in low, suspicious tones. Robbie was on the point of considering how to creep into a better position where he might be able to overhear them when he heard Gabriel Sage softly calling, Robert! Robert! 
fear that he was about to be exposed as not being in his room surged through Robbie. He watched with an agony of anxiety as each window of the museum framed Gabriel Sage for a swift moment or two as he passed it on his way to the place where he expected Robbie to be. Robbie leapt off the plinth but froze when the smug man with the flared nostrils swirled around at the noise. Crouching motionless in the square, Robbie believed he could recall no greater feeling of helplessness in his life. Through the windows of the museum he could see Gabriel Sage approaching his bedroom, halting outside the door, grabbing the handle. But he stopped short of opening it and stepping inside. Then Robbie's name was being called softly once more. After a moment's wait, Gabriel Sage quickly locked the door to Robbie's room and beckoned nostrils to follow him to the workshop at the other end of the museum. Robbie missed his moment initially. He blamed it on the relief of not being found out and possibly the hearty badger. The two men entered the old vestry of the church and closed the door behind them before Robbie could even enter the building. After a few minutes, Gabriel Sage emerged again, nostrils following, his smug expression having been exchanged for a look of shock. The two men headed for the van, leaving the door to the room open behind them. Robbie did not need further invitation, but bolted inside with as little noise as possible. A second later, he very nearly bolted back out again. The room was the size of a small church hall, but was populated by a congregation not known to any god. In its centre was a vast table with a stone slab as its main surface. Hooked onto the ceiling above the table were pulleys and looping vines of chains, as well as a cluster of large, brutal tools. Dangling from drums that had been fastened to almost every wall were bolts of various fabrics. There also happened to be a bulky chest of drawers in the shape of a pyramid nearby, along with heavy sacks, large plastic drums and many other items, but all these were incidental to the experience, and Robbie would have no recollection of them later. No person on earth would concentrate on the objects in that room when confronted by the creatures. For some lost amount of time, Robbie stood riveted by the sights around him, his brain unable to process the information his eyes were relaying to it. Unicorn, he finally uttered. Set a little way back from the door with its head bowed low as if about to charge, brandishing the five feet of bone horn spiralling out of the forehead of the magnificent horse, stood a glorious example of the mythical creature. It was not alone. Beside the unicorn reared a griffin, posed as if about to pounce on a victim its beak gaping, its lion's claws outstretched ready to tear apart the prey, and one long wing arched up over the mane of the unicorn. The far end of the room was dominated by two other creations. There could be no doubt that the unicorn and the griffin were magnificent, inspirational even, but these other two entities might have been ripped from a nightmare. They were supposed to be representations of a minotaur and a centaur, 
beasts that were half human and half animal, but even Gabriel's sage had appeared to balk at the idea of using parts of real people. The body of the minotaur and the torso and head of the centaur were specimens of great apes shaved and presented to resemble primitive humans. The massive, muscular bulk of the male gorilla's body seemed to harbour the primal power of an ancient deity. Its ape feet, having been replaced by two huge hooves, seemed to signal that the minotaur might have had a relentless pace when in pursuit of its prey. Trailing down its spine was a shaggy black mane that reflected no light. Upon its shoulders was the head of a bison, possessing the eyes of an anaconda and an elongated snout more befitting a wolf just for an added touch of ferocity, perversity and authenticity that this genuinely appeared to be a unique species. If anything, the centaur was even more unsettling. Gabriel Sage had chosen a tough, hardy example of one of the moorland ponies with their barrel bodies and long fetlocks but it was to the torso and especially the head of the chimpanzee issuing from the shoulders of the pony that the eyes were drawn. Its body had been shorn of all hair, showing its impressive, sinewy musculature to great effect. Onto its forehead had been grafted two small goat horns, and these somehow shifted the whole creature towards the demonic. But for some unexpressed reason, it was the chimpanzee's close resemblance to a human that made Robbie freeze in fear. Even the expression on the ape's face was at once haughty, aggressive, defiant, pathetic, and chilling. For an instant, Robbie believed Gabriel Sage had discovered these dead specimens of legendary beasts. Then he recalled his soon-to-be stepfather's boasts about creating a mythological heritage and, of course, he understood that Sage had a talent for manipulating the bodies of dead animals. Robbie was so bewitched by the beasts that Gabriel Sage and his accomplice almost ran him over when they returned. They brought with them a hefty coffin-shaped box that was placed besides the table with a weighty thud. This load is as nothing, I can tell you, said Nostrils in a clipped tone that suggested privilege, maybe even aristocracy, his smugness having returned to its normal equilibrium. We had the devil's own job getting your hasts eagle into New Zealand, and then lugging it up Mount Owen, clandestinely and all that. Had to pretend we were mere meteorologists with some fancy flip that absolutely had to be prevented from exposure to the sun. Almost had to import my own people, of course. Can't trust the natives with a thing like that. News leaks out. Still, tidy sum made all round, eh? And the scientific community have bought it. They've authenticated the bird, asked Gabriel Sage eagerly. Gabriel, Gabriel, you've been working too hard in the museum. Nostril scolded gently as he examined the unicorn. It's only plastered over every tabloid, broadsheet, and news channel. Headlines include The Lord of the Flyers, Fresh Find of the Largest Bird of Prey Ever, The Hast's Eagle, Another Epic from Fantasy Islands, 
and my own particular favourite, eerie the return of the man-eater from the sky. Gaudy, but refreshing, I think one will agree. As we speak, battalions of enthusiasts are scouring New Zealand's South Island, searching for a living example of our winged imposter. Oh, they've bought the Harst Eagle all right. For now. But that only proves that they want to believe the bird still exists, Gabriel Sage barked back. I'm still adamant that you should not have rushed me. I wait months, years in one case, to collect the largest examples possible of these different birds and craft them together in the most beautiful union of a harsh eagle, only to have you rush me at the end to finish it. Never rush me. It won't do. Perfection is not a luxury in my profession. It is an absolute necessity. Any scientist worth his PhD will discover the vulture's beak when they dissect that bird. My dear fellow, said Nostrils with an amiable pat on the back of his friend. Firstly, your argument assumes anyone in the world knows of your talent, and that they know where and how to look for the tells. I doubt not that you are perhaps the only person on the planet practising such a craft in this variant form, and therefore you are the only expert. The comment appealed to Gabriel Sage's vanity, and he seemed to stand taller for several moments. Secondly, if you had read your papers, you would have learned that the body of the bird is the subject of a major cultural dispute between the scientific community and the Maori people. The scientists wish to dissect it. Of course, the Maoris wish to preserve it intact as part of their early Polynesian heritage of the islands. By the time the arguments are settled over the bird, I know I will have squandered my money from it in the casinos of the world. Then they won't have far to hunt for the man who sold them the bird then, will they? But, dear chap, I did not sell them the bird, explained Nostrils. Robbie felt as if the man's smugness was oozing out of every pore of his skin, like a stench that made the air feel close and stifling. I have installed some charming but gullible Kiwi academic to be my stool pigeon, as it were. He is taking all the kudos for now, but he may have to take the fall later. The bird will never be traced back to me. I have also taken the precaution of paying for some protection to ensure my anonymity. Protection? With criminal lowlifes, you mean? asked Gabriel Sage scornfully. Not lowlifes, dear chap replied Nostrils with an amused air of smugness as he produced a card from his wallet. But people like us, who have chosen a life less orthodox. Like you, maybe, but not like me, declared Gabriel Sage. I have a purpose beyond the mere mercenary. Indeed, but for a simple mortal such as myself, I see it as a wise investment, replied Nostrils, offering the card. You might want to consider taking out a policy yourself. I understand that they are a well-connected outfit and international. Many say that they are the organization, better than holiday insurance.
they can make people disappear for the best and worst reasons. Why would I need their help when the only person to connect me with anything nefarious is you? replied Gabriel Sage, snatching the card away from Nostrils. Quite so. This reads like something from a trash spy thriller, snorted the figure behind the moustache. A telephone number and two names, the agent and the fortune teller, spare me. This is a bad joke. You've wasted your money. Better stick to casinos, eh? Wait just a second. You're not the agent, are you? jeered Gabriel Sage. Nostrils did not appear to mind being mocked, but took back his card with a serene smile. As soon as Gabriel Sage mentioned the fortune teller, a memory had ignited in Robbie. Hydrogen. Pilfer. Conflict. Cuckoo. He knew he had heard the title of the fortune teller before, but he was having trouble trying to excavate the recollection from all the other thoughts mingling in his mind. No, dear chap, Nostrils continued. I'll show my face to the world when you give me that unicorn. I have designs for her, replied Gabriel Sage, all mirth lost in a moment. Do they include touring the world? said Nostrils. What child wouldn't rob his parents blind to see a unicorn? You think they'd believe in a unicorn? Or a centaur? asked Gabriel Sage. If you are as good as you claim to be, and I have every faith in your talents, and it cannot be disproved that the animal is anything else but a unicorn, and who can gainsay in when there is no other example of the animal to measure it by? Indeed. Yes. Robbie was coming to despise the indulgent smile, the half-raised eyebrows, and the arrogant arch of nostrils' nostrils. It is enough that the hope in the existence of unicorns is installed in people's minds. Look at the Loch Ness monster and the Yeti. I rest my case. One must remember that, after all, some sort of creature must have inspired the first sightings and tales of such beasts. Gabriel Sage stared at his creation pensively, but said nothing as he smoothed down his moustache. Make me the body of a great orc, then. Doesn't have to be pristine, and watch ornithologists and zoologists war against each other to acquire it, Nostrils continued. Or a thylacine, yes, a convincing specimen of the Tasmanian tiger. What could we not do with that? The gangly, flamboyant creator of the creatures did not answer. He turned his back on his accomplice in order to exclude any distractions from his thoughts and gazed at the centaur. Robbie watched as Nostril's smugness fell a notch whilst he stroked the unicorn covetously. Oh, but this beauty. I confess it is this lady that enthralls me. And I had such trouble acquiring that narwhal horn for you too. The unicorn may have a price, Gabriel Serge declared quietly, without turning around to face nostrils. The heady atmosphere of superior smugness spread like a contagion through the room once more. Name it. I want to work on human specimens, 
Before he could stop himself, Robbie found he had uttered most of the word no in a breathless sigh. Both men's heads whipped around in his direction. Not for the first time that night, Robbie forced all his limbs to go rigid and hoped that the people confronting him might not notice the slight boy-shaped distortion in the shadows between the unicorn and the griffin. Keeping his head bowed in order for his face to remain hidden meant that Robbie was unable to see the men directly. He was therefore oblivious to the fact that both Gabriel Sage and Nostrils were staring straight at the spot where he was hidden. But Robbie could not fail to notice when Gabriel Sage's footsteps began to approach him. The immaculate leather shoes strode forward with that brisk, long gait. They were on a direct collision course with Robbie's position. Then the shoes came to a halt, mere inches away from the subtle blur of the coat. Robbie's legs began to ache with the slight stoop he had to adopt to ensure every part of him was hidden beneath the unique material. The absolute stillness of his stance was only adding to the pain. The tension of the situation was almost beyond endurance. Robbie tried to distract himself from the agony by examining Gabriel Sage in detail. He noticed that one of the buttons on the mustard waistcoat possessed a loose thread and had only three more fixing loops before it fell off entirely. For the first time, Robbie noticed that the bow tie just inches away from his face was lopsided and drooped towards the left. Robbie saw the fine piano player's fingers on the right hand reach up out of view and guessed that Gabriel Sage was twirling the curled tip of one end of his moustache in thought. He had never been this physically close to his soon-to-be stepfather for so long, and hoped never to be again. An age seemed to pass before Gabriel Sage span on his heels and abruptly opened the door to the room. In his peripheral vision, Robbie could see the tips of the moustache swing from one side of the museum to the other, scanning the room thoroughly. Then they stopped as Gabriel Sage's eyes locked onto Robbie's door for what might have been a minute. Satisfied that there was no spy lurking nearby, the flamboyant figure closed the door gently. Night noises, explained Gabriel Sage. Probably the timbers contracting with the cold. Such things happen at night, especially in old buildings. A fellow gets familiar with it. Nostrils accepted the explanation. I want to understand this clearly, he said slowly without any trace of smugness. You want to work on people? Oh, yes. It's vital to my greater design. Sage turned towards Nostrils, leaning in towards his companion, daring him to be part of the conspiracy. My ambition is no less than to stun the world and profoundly unsettle it. Nostrils considered the proposition for a moment. Let me unearth a couple of unicorns in Central Asia, one in a damaged condition and this beauty, and I may be able to acquire a few homo sapiens for you. You'll have to improve the security on this place, though. I don't care for the ramshackle nature of your operation. You might easily be exposed, especially now that your new family is here. 
They are not family yet. She irritates you? Frequently. And the boy? Gabriel Sage pondered the question as he followed Nostrils towards the door. In all honesty, the boy has been a bit of a find. It may take time, but I feel I may well have found my apprentice at last. The conversation had been so engrossing and stupefying that Robbie only realised that the men were leaving when it was too late. The light in the room went out and the door locked, leaving Robbie trapped, alone, with the terrible specimens. He was unable to escape or call out for aid. At first, it was pitch black in the room. Soon, Robbie felt he could sense the presence of the creatures around him, and they were beginning to take on the character of monsters. As his eyes began to adjust to the lack of light, the figures slowly, imperceptibly started to loom out of the darkness. With a faltering hand, Robbie reached out for the unicorn. It came from a need to know he was there, in that room, with his eyes open and not ensnared in a dream. He also wanted to confirm that the beasts were not about to blink, shift their heads and decide to stalk forward to take a closer look at the human boy amongst them. But the unicorn did not flinch, but allowed Robbie to feel the base of the horn where it joined the skull of the horse. Certainly, through the sense of touch, it appeared as if the two bones had grown and fused together quite naturally over the animal's lifetime. The griffin, too, was not some shoddy, stitched-together version of the beast that gave up its secrets under close scrutiny. Robbie raised some of the feathers at the point where the lion and the eagle's body were united, but he could feel no join. They seamlessly melded into one animal. Granted, the head might have looked a little small in proportion with the lion's torso, and it was quite possible that the wings, though vast, were still too little to carry the bulk of the beast, but in every other detail, it was perfection. Robbie could not bring himself to even glance in the direction of the other two creatures. He huddled in the furthest corner away from the minotaur and centaur, the darkness pressing all around. Then he pulled the hood down over his face and turned on the coat's warmth function. Gabriel Sage was not just an eccentric engaged in a bizarre occupation. Robbie understood that now. He was also a callous and twisted crook who cared for nothing beyond his calling. Insults seemed inadequate. Somehow, Robbie doubted any language could provide the correct word for what he felt towards the man. That night, Robbie decided he had to leave this place with his mother and head back to Bristol. Back home to Grandma and Ivor. The thought occupied his mind and comforted his spirit. Throughout the night, his head would droop with weariness, but then Robbie would nod back into consciousness to check that the hooves on the far side of the room had not become restless an inch closer in his direction. <laughs>